I think we had four or five kids. We went to uh, Mount Hermon for an evening meeting, a preaching session, and there was a, an Episcopal reverend there preaching, which we thought, okay, that's a little unusual. And his, his, his last name was Guest, but he's, he's, he's one of those rare, totally biblical Episcopals. Not trying to throw rocks at anybody, but he would say that too, okay? <laughs> and he said that night, he said, you know, if I were you, I, I would go home and have a passel of kids. <laughs> and we said, well, okay. <laughs> so the Lord, uh, uh, we ended up with nine kids. We really look back at that and say it was kind of a confirming moment uh, in, in our lives. But we have a passel of kids, and we, uh, we've, we have nine of them. And all of them have gone through speech and, deb and debate. Speech is kind of a thing. And then debate, team policy debate. Uh, it's kind of high-octane um, argumentation. This is my whole point. I do have a point. You know how you win debates? Is you know your evidence, and you depend on your evidence. You present it well. That's what team policy debate is about. It's evidence-based argumentation and whoever whoever has the best evidence for their case should win at the end of the round doesn't always happen that way but you would hope so and so what a huge privilege of mine to have the the, the word of god as my evidence book uh super super exciting today's text is this one from john and it is John 12, 36 through 41. Today is one of those days I plan to, as the Lord gives me opportunity, to read a lot of scripture and to use a lot of evidence. Um, and if you'll follow along, it will help. And I always say, too, uh, you, you can guess what passage, Lord willing, I'm teaching next week. It's the next few verses in this same passage. So come prepared and uh, you will be blessed. Let me read this text then, John 12, 36 through 41. In fact, I might even go up to, um, let me just grab a little of the context from last week. Um, he, Jesus has made this great proclamation, uh, verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, and this is literally a reference to his crucifixion on the cross. I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? See, they got it. They're, they said in their hearts, wait a minute, we have become to believe that you're the Christ, and now you're telling us the Christ is going to die, the Son of Man? And so they say, who is this Son of Man? And then this is what Jesus said to them. You would think he could have just, like I said last week, he could have said, yes, 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 you're finally getting it. I am the Son of Man. I'm going to be crucified for your sins. I'm going to be buried and rise again the third day. He had said those things earlier, but he doesn't say that here. He wants them to delve into the re revelation that they have 
and believe it, to trust it, what God has already said to them. This is a consistent pattern in Scripture. And so how does he answer it? They say, who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness and grace, open this holy scripture to all of us. Lord, we see and hear that you harden hearts and you blind eyes. Would you please, in your grace, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your word and give us soft, prepared, prepared soil in our hearts. All of us, Lord, we need it. We need your divine work so that we can hear what you're saying to each and every one of us. You've composed the exact perfect group. Every one of you, Lord, every one of us here today is brought here by you. So we come to you, feed your sheep in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this is a potent passage of Scripture. And I want to let you in on some of my reason for doing what I do. Turn with me very quickly to, uh, to Acts chapter 20. I have this, the whole council. This is just a little bit of introduction. introduction. The whole council. Uh, look at Acts 20, 26. And I, actually, before you get to 26, look up at, this, this, by the way, is Paul the Apostle saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, and we're going to refer to this uh, setting a little bit later as well, probably. Um, he's saying goodbye to them. He had spent about three years as their pastor, as their teacher, resident. Imagine having the Apostle Paul as your teacher uh, for three whole years. And he had poured 
himself into this. He poured himself into their lives. And he's saying farewell to the elders. He, he specifically didn't want to go to Ephesus so, because it would take too long to say goodbye to everybody. And he was in a hurry to get to uh, Jerusalem. Um, so he called the elders apart, the leaders of the church, and he's talking to them uh, in, at a distance from Ephesus. And I just, I'm not going to preach this whole passage. It's, it's a fantastic passage, but look at um, verse 20. Um, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So I did not shrink. There's a pressure on teachers and preachers to shrink away from some of the Bible, from declaring the whole Bible, because some of it's difficult, edgy, gnarly. And Paul says, I didn't give in to that pressure. In fact, I didn't shrink from declaring to you. I like that word, you know. Several years ago, I tried to ban the word share. <laughs> it became kind of a church joke uh, for a long time because, you know, we don't share. <laughs> we declare, <laughs> okay, we proclaim the Lord because that's, it's much more biblical. It's, you're coming from a place of power. You know your evidence. You don't say, you know, you might believe this. You might want to add this to your smorgasbord of possibilities. Um, no, he declared to them, and look what he says. I declared to you anything that was profitable. Now go to verse 26. Let's find out what's profitable. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel. What is the duty of a Bible teacher, of a preacher, of a Sunday school teacher? It is, is it to edit the Bible? To give people the slimmed down, palatable version of the Word of God? God forbid. So you're going to decide what's palatable? You know, who do you think you are? <laughs> this, is, this is what uh, is so typical. Uh, there's a, there was a huge movement back in the 1980s. It's called Make Your Church Seeker Sensitive. And the whole idea is you got to slim things down. you got to say less. People like it more when you say less. So we have a 20-minute you know, homily on... on you don't even use the Bible. You really sort of use Bible words, you know, like a few words here and there. Don't want to scare you off. <laughs> well, of course, it didn't scare people off, and you, you ended up with a whole mass of people that are, are, are they being, is, is it even a Christian church, you know? Are they, are they following the, the model of the Apostle Paul? Uh, is, is Olstein, Joel Olstein, you know, preaching this message? today. Would he ever preach this, this message? Um, I don't know. Those are just questions I ask. The, what, so what's profitable? The whole counsel of God. And then remember, I, I found this cool uh, proverb right here. It's also on this side. <laughs> you didn't notice that, did you? <laughs> Isn't that a cool proverb? Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. 
and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. What's profitable? The whole counsel of God. So with that introduction, let's look at this interesting, wonderful passage of Scripture today. First of all, starting out with where we are in the text, he, he, Jesus is saying, believe now. You know, go, you have received the revelation of God, the bright light. The light is with you. It's day. If you wait, if you decide, well, I'm not sure. I'll give it some more consideration. I'll think about it for a little while longer. He says, wait, watch out. The darkness, see there in verse 35, the, the darkness may overtake you. You may miss the opportunity. While you have the light, Jesus is the light. He's here now. You can believe in him. He says, while you have the light, believe in the light. Believe now. And look at the uh, nice benefit, the wonderful benefits of believing now. You'll become sons of light. Uh, there's a whole sermon there for sure. This is, uh, in theology, we call this a Hebraism. Um, the Jews liked this type of expression. Uh, in a couple of the apostles, I think it's James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. Um, you know, they, they were boisterous, and they, they, were, they weren't going around sharing, okay? <laughs> they were declaring, and they were all about power. At one point, they said, Jesus, should we call down, you know, lightning from heaven to consume these enemies of yours? And Jesus said, hold on, boys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, the time will come for that, but it's not right now. The sons of thunder. And here he says, you, you and I can become sons of light. Light will be a part of our nature. He'll change us from darkness to light. We leave the kingdom of darkness to join the kingdom of light. And you and I will become a source of light in a dark world. Scripture teaches this in many ways. And boy, we need light. There's so much darkness all over, so much sadness, so much sorrow, so much sin and abuse and, and pain and suffering. The world needs sons of light. Now, last week I pointed out that uh, this same gospel says that when we take the water, Jesus is the water of life, the living water, that we become a, a fountain. He says we'll have a, a fountain of water welling up in us, so we'll become a source of water, a source of light. God wants us all to rise to the level of confidence in, in the Word of God that we represent Him wherever He takes us, in, in our jobs, in our homes, in our Facebook conversations, uh, wherever He takes us to be sons of light. Amazing benefits that are available to you believe if you believe. But Jesus will depart and hide someday. Why should you believe now? Look what happened next. Verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. 
Some of you are familiar with the word cryptology, the study of hiding things. And we encrypt our internet messagings, right? Well, this is the Greek word here, uh, to be encrypted, to be hidden, to be hard to find. Somebody would say, well, come on, Jesus never departs. He doesn't hide himself. Um, yeah, yeah, he does. He, he's revealed himself. He's done amazing miracles. He's spoken until he's blue in the face, we might say. And they, they're still yawning and saying, well, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe, maybe not, you know. So he, so he leaves. This is it. You guys have no more opportunity. So why should we believe now? Because he's given us an opportunity to believe him now, to trust him now. Please don't miss the opportunity. You know, follow through in faith. Trust in him. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why John wrote his whole letter here, this whole book. You can look in uh, the very first chapter, very famous words, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, verse 11, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, there's the setting. But what about this? What about all who don't believe? What about all who don't believe? See where the text takes us in this direction. Verse 37. Just hear the stunning information in verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them. And, you know, pause for a second. Think, what, what is he talking about? Jesus had done thousands, thousands of miracles up to this point. And John, the author, has pointed out, like, he turned water to wine, he walked on water, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd revealed himself as the power over and over and over and over again. And he'd done all these signs before them, yet they still did not believe in him. They're, they're obdurate. You know, they're, uh, they will not submit to God. They will not trust him. They will not believe. They're constantly saying, no, no, that's not that important. I don't think I need to believe. So why? Why? Is this presenting God as some sort of salesman who can't make the sale? Who's the, honestly, the loser? Like, here he is, boom, boom, pyrotechnics of, of miracles. You know, that's a fancy word for fireworks. <laughs> you know, whoo, whoo, and we go, wow, wow. But he can't close the deal, and they yawn and go away from him. Is he a loser? Is this not his glory? Does this show his weakness? Well, look at the text. Let's look at the whole counsel of God. They still did not believe. What's that next word? So that their, their lack of faith was a result from this reality that this word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 
their unbelief literally fulfills prophecy. And their unbelief is there in order to fulfill prophecy. Their unbelief has a divine purpose. It's not some freak, unexpected, accidental result. It's not some way to prove that God's a failure. In fact, it shows he's succeeding even in this. As hard as that is for us to understand. Let's look at this together. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. What did, what did Isaiah say? Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they, they could not believe. See, they did not believe. They exercised their will and said, we don't want this. We don't want you, Jesus. We don't want to submit to you as the Lord. They exercise their will, but at the same time, God is exercising his will. He will not allow them to believe. It's it. That's what it says here, right? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You see, these people are under the judgment of God. The direct context of this is the history of Israel. Isaiah is saying these things because Israel has been rejecting the revelation of God over and over, over and over, generationally, you know, father, son, father, son, father, son, father, son, father, son. It's up to, he writes in 700 B.C., uh, and God has been revealing himself graciously to them for centuries. And they, they said, well, no, you know, we still aren't going to obey you. When it really comes down to it, we're going to do whatever we feel like, God. And you have no right to tell us what to do with our lives. And we're going to keep you out of our bedroom. We're going to sleep with whoever we want to sleep. You have no right to tell us what to do. And God has revealed himself over and over and over. And when it really gets down to it, they're rebelling against him. So he says, guess what? I'm departing and hiding, and you are going to judgment. You will not believe. This is my will. This is what I've planned for you. I'm going to blind your eyes. I'm going to harden your hearts. And, and, and Isaiah's job as a preacher this was his job description. <laughs> You're going to go out and spend your whole life not sharing, <laughs> but declaring the word of God, and people won't listen to you. And you're actually confirming them in their unbelief and showing the sovereignty of God. What about all who don't believe? First of all, unbelief fulfills prophecy. God actually completely prophesied that this would happen through Isaiah. Take a note here too, by the way. If you're a Bible student, which you, you should be, if you're a growing, budding theologian, you should be. Here's some awesome theology in this text, okay? Hang with me. Let's, let's figure this out together. 
But just look, at one of the ongoing debates uh, due to liberalism uh, in the late 1800s that kind of took over most of the uh, Protestant seminaries uh, around the world, came out of Germany and just took over the world. One of the long-term debates was, well, Isaiah is obviously not written by one person. There's obviously more than one Isaiah. And in fact, the book is so bipolar, the first part must have been written by one guy and the second part must have been written by some other guy. Okay? Well, here's a text right in Scripture that says that it's the same Isaiah. Because this one quote is from the chapter 6, and the other quote is from the, the 50s, uh, 53 or something like that. It's one Isaiah speaking. And also just note the, the consistency in this text. It says it's the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And again, Isaiah says, see in verse 39, he said, and look at verse 41, Isaiah said these things. It's this, it's this not, it's not like old literature, you know, like you visit it, like, oh, isn't that interesting? Uh, that's some old literature written a long time ago. It's, it's existentially existing. It's now. He said this stuff. He, he spoke for God. And what he says has to be fulfilled because it is the word of God. And this unbelief actually fulfills scripture. Honey, I just said honey. <laughs> That's a rare transition for me right there. I don't know. I'm not thinking about talking with my wife. Forgive me. <laughs> that was embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> my dears, okay. My dear friends, Look at verse 38 again. That, I'm not reading this into this text. This is what this text says. They still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. How important is the word of God? What percentage of the word of God is true? 100%. What percentage of the prophecies will be fulfilled? 100%. Believe it or not, it's true. And at the end of all time, all human beings will know this. It'll be an amazing moment. So unbelief actually fulfills prophecy. Unbelief is predetermined by God. That's what it says there in verse 40. Let's open that up a little bit. I know this is, this is really weird. And, you know, some percentage of you will say, Pastor Nate, I've never heard that before. That's some weird stuff. And I'll tell you why you've never heard it before. Because of that whole idea of shrinking back. A whole lot of teachers of the Bible will come to this and say, well, I'm going to shrink back from that. Because I don't like that, I'm scared of it. Uh, well, let's just boldly go where few men dare to go today, okay? <laughs> and let's, let's let God speak to us today through his word. And, and hang with me. I think at least you can go away and say, well, I'm not sure, but that was quite interesting. <laughs> Maybe. So again, verse 40, it's saying that God is personally taking an action to blind people and harden their hearts 
so that they will not believe. That's what I'm saying. It's predetermined by God. Look at a couple of passages here. I said we're going to have a lot of Scripture. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, it's an interesting book about the sovereignty of God, an interesting chapter about the sovereignty of God. Um, you, you know, one of my, my favorite verses that I quote all the time in the New Testament are, for of him, through him, and to him are all things. Even Jocelyn crying right now, that's from God, that's fine. <laughs> of him, through him, and to him are are of him, through him, to him are all things. Where did I get that? Generally speaking, the Bible. Thank you very much. <laughs> I didn't make it up. I'm not creating theology. That's what the Bible teaches us. Of him, through him, and to him are all things. Even the unbelief. Even those people rejecting Jesus. That's of him, through him, and to him as well. Otherwise, the Bible doesn't make sense. Okay, enough about that. But look, look, at, uh, look at Proverbs 16. Look at verse 1, for example. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Look at the very last verse in Proverbs 16. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So look at Proverbs 16, verse 4. In this same context, Proverbs 16, the Lord, and that is, of course, Yahweh, the self-existing creator God, source of all, created everything, just like we were singing in our worship. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, this is the Lord. Look at here. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Is your theology too small to accept that? Then you don't have a biblical theology. This says he made even the wicked for the day of trouble. Look with me. We're going to spend just a minute on this. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. All of the apostles believed this and taught this. It was the backbone of their faith. It was the background of everything they believed. And it is often uh, skipped over, dumbed down, edited out uh, of our uh, evangelical church to our poverty, to our shame. Uh, and here it is in 1 Peter chapter 2. I just want to read uh, several verses, starting at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. See, that's just like my John 12 passage. Believe now. The light is here. If you believe, you will become sons of light yourself. Believe now. The honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, 
This is talking about Jesus Christ. He is the stone that the builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. See, there they are. They're obnoxiously um, stubborn. They will not believe. Why? Because they want to continue to disobey God. They like their sin too much. That's what the Bible says. They love darkness rather than light. They stumble because they disobey the word. But what does he say next? As they were destined to do. See, the disobedience and the unbelief of people doesn't prove that God's some kind of loser, some kind of a salesman that can't close the deal on people. It it doesn't prove that God's sort of beside the road holding a sign saying, give me a try, and people just buzz by him and laugh. No. Even in this, he is sovereign. He has even destined these people to unbelief. That's what it says here. This is the background of their faith. As they were destined to do. Now let's look at another passage. I We have plenty of time today. Uh, Jeremy said I could have an extra half an hour. (laughs) I'm only kidding, of course. But turn with me to Romans chapter 9. It's been an eon since I've read Romans chapter 9 uh, publicly. And I I can't, I'm not going to teach this whole thing, but this is like a prime passage. This is the prime passage on this reality, on this topic. It's, it's high-octane, it's potent, and most of the time it's dismissed. But that's not proclaiming the whole counsel of God. So here's Romans 9. Let's start at verse 6. I'm going to read rather quickly. And look how it starts out, though. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. See, that's the issue. Does unbelief prove that the word of God has failed? That Jesus is a failure himself? No, no. It says, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all the children of Abraham, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. See, not not all Jews are Jews. Not all people from Israel are Israel. Not all the sons of Abraham are actually his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. By this time next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, now follow this in verse 11, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. See, the point here that Paul the Apostle is making emphatically is that God's choice of people is not because he looks ahead in time and sees the ones who are wise enough to make the choice to believe in him. No. He's saying it's prior. It's a priori. Before experience, 
He's made this choice. And it, notice, it's because of him who calls. That's God. It's all based on God's free will. That's one of the responses. Don't you believe in free will? Of course. God's free will. <laughs> Absolutely. He's the one with free will. That's what the Bible teaches. She was told, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? I mean, this is not fair. By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So the word of God says that God is free to decide who he will have mercy on and who he will have compassion on. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared? They're destined. They're prepared for destruction. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, etc., etc. So like I said, study that more, but that's a huge theological basis for John chapter 12 and what's going on here in this passage. The unbelief is there, it actually fulfills prophecy, and actually the unbelief is predetermined by God. It is a miracle from God if anyone believes. That's the real point. People will say, well, hey, uh, I'm, why do I believe? Why do I have faith? You know, we should just be so grateful that we believe. It's a gift from God that you have faith. It is definitely granted. I say, take it for granted. In other words, it's granted by God. Receive it with joy and gratitude. It's a miracle. Now, persuasion, persuasion and choice are still important. Because see, one of the arguments against this biblical point of view is, okay, well then, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'll just sit in this chair and do nothing. In fact, some of the first waves of modern missionaries uh, were dissuaded uh, by this very doctrine, by this belief, saying, you know, hey, um, I think it was William Carey, if I'm not mistaken, he wanted to go to India. And he was in Britain, in London, and he was trying to gain support from the church. And literally some of the old curmudgeon people like, change? We don't like change, you know, those folks. Uh, they stood up and said, listen, 
If God wants to bring them to himself, he will. He doesn't need you to go and be a missionary there. They had this fatalistic point of view. That is not at all supported by the Bible in any way, shape, or form. Let's look at uh, John 6.44 in support of it's a miracle from God if anyone believes. I want to support that first with a couple of pieces of evidence. Uh, John 6.44, which we taught on many, many months ago. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In that context, Jesus is dealing with rejection. These guys keep rejecting him. And he goes back to the backbone or the foundation of his theology saying, God is still in control of this. In fact, you can't come to me unless God chooses to draw you to myself. And then my favorite, or one of my favorites, is Matthew chapter 11. Turn there real quickly. I want you to see this. Because this is gorgeous balance of of all these things coming together, really. I'd like to preach the entire passage, uh, and I have, but today I'm not going to. But give you a thumbnail sketch of this entire Matthew 11. People are worried about John the Baptist. Uh, what's, what's up with this God? Uh, he's been rejected. And Jesus says, well, you know, he was rejected. I've been rejected. I've been to these three cities and done amazing miracles. He did, did all these signs. Now, again, expand that for a minute. Every human being you and I meet is, is surrounded by the miraculous. You know, the, the cells in our body work miraculously. The sun rises every day. The beauty of the ocean, the wonder of, of a, a mother with a child, of childbirth, my, my daughter, Katrina, just had a, a baby in Indonesia. Um, was that, I think it was this week. I don't know, it was recently. <laughs> they named the baby Charlotte after my, my wife. And it's a, it's a miracle. Are you kidding me? You, know, you take one little tiny, tiny cell from the man and one egg, which is quite a bit larger, from the woman, and you put them together, and they grow inside, and they become a human being? You know, you know, open your eyes. This is miraculous. This is unbelievable. You give birth to a human being that heals, by and large, takes care of itself after a while. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and heals itself. You know, I, I, oh, I left my cell phone down there. Imagine I'm waving my cell phone around, right? <laughs> Does a cell phone or does this remote heal itself? Does it have living cells in it? No. God's creation is stunningly, shockingly miraculous. And we, we're just surrounded and we're in a bath of hot water of revelation. Every, everybody, every human being is. And God has revealed himself over and over. And he's, and he's not only that, he's faithfully given us his precious word. And it's available, you know, to a huge percentage of humanity today. And we, like them of old, by and large, just yawn. We just reject. And, and that's exactly what happened to Jesus while he was on the earth. And he went to these cities and did all these amazing miracles. And then he pronounces woe on them. Woe to you. Woe to you, Bethesda, Chorazin, and Capernaum. 
See, that's verse 23 of, of Matthew 11. And he says, uh, you're going you're gonna to be in big trouble. <laughs> Judgment is absolutely coming. Because the revelation was so beautiful, the light was so amazing, but you wanted to walk in darkness. And so judgment is coming, and it's going to be fierce. And this is the part I really love, this transition. You know, you know I love it if you've been around me for very long. Verse 25, Matthew eleven twenty-five. 25, at that time, at that very moment while he's being rejected, people are yawning, they're walking out the back, he looks like a big colossal flavor. <laughs> a colossal failure! <laughs> if I don't yell, I can't get it out. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, he does. How does he feel? Jesus, come on, you know, enter our support group. You've got to really be feeling bad. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Lord, of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your gracious will. This is the free will of God, to choose some to salvation and to choose others to be rejected. This was your gracious will, all, et cetera, et cetera. So there you are, Matthew 11. That's, that's under this bullet right here. This one I want to get to real quick, too. Persuasion and choice are still important. Now, I'm telling you, the best apostle we have in terms of literature, in terms of paper trail, is who? Yes, Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Well, he's the guy who taught this directly in Romans 9, that God makes the choice. Esau, I hate. Uh, who's the other guy? Isaac? Jacob. Yeah, I knew I was wrong with Isaac. Jacob I love, he made that choice. Okay, let's look at his method then. Let's look at Acts 19 very quickly. Acts 19. What's, what's your method, Paul? If you believe that, certainly you probably stride into a city, say, believe now in the Lord Jesus is your last opportunity, goodbye. <laughs> is that his method? No, 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 no. God honors humanity. He made us to interact with information. He, he loves to talk with us. He loves to communicate with you, to take you seriously. <laughs> and look at Acts 19, verse 8. It says, And he entered, this is Paul the Apostle, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Here's the guy who has this backbone, solid, the sovereignty of God, 100% sovereign, yet what does he do in practice? He's out there spending time with them, three months, boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, and continued in unbelief. Did he throw up his arms and leave? No. Look, at when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Ty, let's see, Tyrannus. He, he went to a rental hall, like, you know, the 
the Rotary or whatever. He rented a space to continue teaching. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. This is just a small example. Uh, I want to tell you the entire Bible is a persuasive book. It's here to persuade you. Every single... <laughs> what's wrong with my voice today? Every single... <laughs> I'm, I'm totally entertained by that, so... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> every single, every single passage is to persuade you to believe. That's why it's here. Even this revelation that says that if you do not believe, you are headed for condemnation based on the sovereign will of God. Persuasion, persuasion and choice are still important. Prayer is still vital. Why should we pray then? God tells us to pray, A, number one. Number two, he works through our prayers. He works his sovereign will through all of us. So, I'm going to close with this. Why should you believe this teaching? I've been teaching in this church for uh, 18 years. Um, sometimes up, sometimes down, you know. Most of the time, not that great. <laughs> but uh, I've been here, faithfully teaching. And I think when I came, a whole lot of the folks didn't believe this at all. And when I came, I always had this impression that some percentage of the audience was sort of, they're not really listening to the word, they're sort of like here as a monitor. I'm here to listen to see what's happening here. And I'm going to sort of monitor along. But I don't believe this. I don't believe this part of the Bible. I like this part, but not that part, right? I had that very, very distinct impression. And I think that was verified a few years ago when a lot of those same folks decided to leave. Not 100% because of that. I know that's true. But I wonder where you are. Do you think this is optional? Like, I might believe that. I'll give it some consideration. I want to tell you, this is the word of God. I didn't make this up. You know, if it were up to me, I probably wouldn't even be preaching this. But it's the word of God. Why should you believe? It's God's teaching. He's telling us about himself. There's a lot to say about this, and I don't have time to say it all. But secondly, it is God's glory. Do you look at our text today? Go back to John chapter 12. Our text today, what does it say there? The very last verse I chose today, verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw the glory of God. And he teaches us about God. Jesus is God, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, tri the Trinity. Isaiah is speaking about the glory of God here. This is his glory. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, they are not diminished by people disregarding them by people disobeying the word. They are not diminished at all. This is God's glory. He is God. This is the definition of who God is. This is how he has revealed himself. He is holy, holy, holy. Turn with me then, Isaiah 
chapter 6. It says Isaiah saw the glory of God, and he spoke of him. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 with me very briefly. We're just going to look at one or two verses here mainly. This is the uh, famous passage of Isaiah's vision. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. There's great amounts of awe and respect for God. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What's the context of this? Well, most of the earth hated God. Even his own people were disobeying him. The situation in Israel was so bad that he had fully determined that they were going to be crushed by Assyria and then Babylon to the point where virtually they've never recovered since then. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, you know, what does it say here? You know, the, the Hebrew is here, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Yahweh Tzavaoth. Holy, holy, holy. Kadosh. Kadosh, Kadosh, Yahweh, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, is fully capable. His glory is not diminished one iota because of human rebellion. Why? Why? Look what it says. A very small part of the earth is partially filled with his glory. <laughs> it's like one of those satellite images. You fly over and you see some, a few bright lights. Oh, there's somebody that believes in me. Yippee! I'm glorified by that bright light there. Is that what it says in your Bible? Dear friends, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It says the whole earth. The Hebrew here is malo, which is, is full. It starts with the, the word full. Melo kal ha'eretz, full, all the earth. And, and the word for glory is kavodo. Kavodo, the, 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 the weight of glory of God fills the earth even when that stinking earth is in huge rebellion against him. He's in total control. This is his plan. He's the perfect author of time and space. I don't know if you've ever tried to work through a Alexander Dumas novel. I'm still trying to work through The Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> he keeps going on and on and on and on, you know? But he's a good author. He's an amazing author. And you know why? 
everything comes together as he's perfectly planned it. And you go through all this muck and you realize, oh, that's his purpose too. That has a plan and purpose in this mere human being author. Now I ask you, do you think that applies to God? Or is he just some sort of existential being that created something? He's like, whoa, where is this going to go? I'm excited to see what happens out there. No, it's all his glory. And when all is said and done, we will join those seraphim and say, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. And this is what I'm trying to say. He is receiving glory always. Count on it. I don't understand it, but I believe it. He is receiving glory. It is a present reality. And that's why we can trust him. Go to the final slide, which is the first slide, with an added, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen.